this is the third Sunday of Advent, and as you've heard, it's, it's traditionally called Angels and Shepherds Weekend, and uh, this, this week we're going to focus only on the shepherds part, uh, because even though the angels gave their message first to shepherds, and the shepherds were the um, first ones to, as human beings to visit Jesus and to announce to others who he was, the real thing I want us to think about is that a prophet, Micah, had foretold 700 years before the Messiah was ever born that he himself would not only be a ruler, but also a shepherd. And then in John chapter 10, Jesus would take that on, and in rather an astounding statement, he would say, I am that good shepherd, and added this, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So all week I've been thinking about what does that mean for Jesus to do uh, shepherding work in our lives that requires him to lay down his life for us. Now, maybe it's not a good thing, but I prepare sermons while other things are going on in my life. And while I was getting the sermon ready, we had not such a pleasant thing happening in our house. We were having to have work done on our septic system. Now, without being too graphic, because Chris wouldn't let me show you pictures of this, thinking that people would would rebel, let me just tell you this, that when a septic system backs up, it is a big-time, messy, and smelly problem. Now, now when it happened, we tried to deal with it simply by dumping some Drano uh, down the drain. And I tell you, it did nothing. It did nothing except sit there. And and the the use of a, a plumber's snake, that wasn't going to help either because what we discovered was we had to get an expert to come He put a scope all the way down through the uh, pipes that went from our house down to the septic tank. And what he saw there was this. Well, I'll tell you, our house is an older house. And when it was built decades ago, it was was built with these clay septic pipes, some of you know. And they weren't sealed properly. So I'll tell you, roots and weeds are really smart. They know how to get into those places. And over these decades and decades and decades of, of the, that happening, eventually the, the roots and the weeds had just taken over the pipes. In fact, I'll just show you the, what it looks like here. I, I just look at that. There's no way that can of Drano is going to get rid of that. <laughs> or, or, or a plumber's snake either. What we needed to have somebody do is to come and get personally involved in this thing. And I'll tell you, that's not a job that most of us would want to have. You've got to dig that thing up. You've got to find some way to pull those roots and those weeds out, out of the pipe. Then you have to rebuild the pipe wherever it's broken and, and you have to reseal the thing. And only then can it be made good for, for use again. And I'll tell you, that was a great thing to have happen in our lives. Now, I know this. Okay, well, what is that illustration about, Pastor? I know that at Christmas season... You like me to come up and do messages about the little Lord Jesus asleep in the hay. This may not be that kind when you think about that illustration, at least. But what I want us to see is actually, I think, a more powerful piece of this. That he came to be a shepherd. Because the Bible, in talking about what Jesus came to do, to, to do his work in our lives, doesn't use an example of a septic pipe or a septic tank. It uses the example of a, of a shepherd who walks into the lives of people who often are in danger and has to get involved in life-on-life life intervention. 
just like the people who came and did that work that made it so that our house could function and be livable again, Jesus has come and he gets involved in, in the innermost parts of our lives. Those places where we have adopted patterns and, and ways of life and tendencies and sometimes even addictions that they become like those roots in the midst of our lives where we say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live this way. But we just can't set ourselves free. And Jesus says, I will come and be the good shepherd. Now, I'll, I'll tell you that the Messiah who has come to do that kind of work in our lives had been prophesied 700 years before. He is a mighty ruler, a mighty ruler, so he has the ability to do anything. But the thing I want us to think about is that he called himself a shepherd. So there are three, three ways I want to go about this. Number one, I want us to think about what it means for God himself to call us sheep. All right, we're going to think about uh, Two, I want us to think about the beauty of the fact that Jesus is willing to say, I am ready to be your good shepherd. And then three, I, I want us to think about what happens in our lives when we actually are willing to be shepherded by this shepherd. All right, so let's start. Let's start thinking about our condition and this point that God calls us sheep. Uh, that, that's suggested here in Micah chapter 5. He'll be the, the, the shepherd over us as a flock. Uh, but it, it's said directly by Isaiah, who was writing at the very same time as Micah was writing. He said, we are all like sheep. We're all like sheep. Now, in, in that matter of God calling you and me as sheep, um, there's both good news and bad news. Now, which one do you want first, the good news or the bad news? All right, I heard good, but I'm going to go with the bad because that's what I have in my notes uh, down here. Um, I, let me just say, tell you, it's not a very flattering thing to be called a sheep in the Bible. Now, I know that, that in our world we sort of sentimentalize animals and even sheep. Um, I have grandchildren. I have bought them stuffed sheep so that when we think about sheep, I have a picture here I'll, I'll show you. We often think about this sort of a cute little creature. Has it come up yet? That, that's what we think about. You know, they're snuggly and you can sleep with them and they're just so wonderful. And, I, and if you bought your children or grandchildren a sheep or if you're still an adult sleeping with your stuffed animal, I won't be critical because I bought them for my children and my grandchildren as well. I just want to tell you that when the Bible talks about us being sheep, it's not talking about us being these soft, attractive, pleasant creatures. The sheep it talks about were smelly, stubborn, intellectually dense and usually just cantankerous. Uh, I, I pulled up another picture to get you, to help you to see a better. <laughs> now, you know I'm being a little bit manipulative here. I found the ugliest sheep I possibly could find because we had to counter that stuffed sheep. Um, you can read a lot about God calling a sheep in the Bible and there's so many things that could be said about that and I'll suggest if you'd like to see more than I could ever say the books by Philip Keller uh, written many years ago like uh, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm I think he's written three of them they're worth looking at uh, and to help you to understand this if I can just boil down a few of the things that Keller gets at uh, maybe there are a couple of points I'll make he, he will point out that, that sheep when God calls a sheep Sheep are not good decision-makers. They don't handle independence well. It's not that they don't make decisions. It's just they make bad ones. 
And the problem is, once they've made bad ones, they, they're just so stubborn. They keep doing the same thing over and over again. So, so that whenever a sheep wants to get out of, of, of its pen or, or sees that there's no more grass there, and it finds this little opening and tries to get through there, but the sheep is too big and the opening is too small, it'll try to get through. But instead of just walking around a place where there's an opening, it will try to get through that same little hole over and over. It will bang its head up against that place until it dies. Now, brothers and sisters, we are human beings made in the image of God. Reading Genesis 1 and 2, we, you and I have been given the ability to, to make decisions that care for the entire universe. And yet when we look at our universe, we see we haven't cared very well for the universe or for our own lives because we become like sheep. We make, we make these dumb decisions, and even though they are self-destructive, we find ourselves doing them over and over. Anybody see that? If you won't admit it in your own life, think about the people around you. <laughs> and I'm going to eventually tell you it's true of all of us. And, and that's what God has said, made to, to be image bearers of God who can reason, if I go here, that's going to happen, and I've done it before, and that is hurt. I, we keep doing it over and over again to our self-destruction. We are like sheep. Uh, be, beyond that, Keller points out how gullible sheep are. So they often just blindly follow whatever any other sheep will do. So that if you have a herd of sheep, apparently, if one would go over the cliff to its death, you can just expect that many more, maybe the entire herd, will go over that we don't learn from what we see around us. Uh, sheep simply follow the crowd that is there. And I'll tell you, the Bible says that we are like sheep, meant to have a personal relationship with God, to make decisions to follow Him toward real living and real life. Instead, the Apostle Paul takes it up. Our tendency is to be conformed to the pattern of the world around us. And so, once again, parents so many times will say to our children, when they, will say, I don't want you to do this. And your children will say, but everybody else at school is doing this. We'll often turn to them and say, but, but simply because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's healthy or that it's good. In fact, it may mean just the opposite. And yet, even in giving them instructions, we so often do the same thing. We're so drawn in by the advertising, the, the values of the media, we look around to see what people are living for and we just want to often have what everybody else has and do what everybody else does. And in that, the Bible says you have become like sheep. I've meant for you to be much more, but you become like sheep and so you go astray. And I, I think maybe the biggest point that the book of Micah chapter 5 makes when it says we need a shepherd who is going to come in and, and shepherd us is that sheep had no way to protect themselves. Uh, when an enemy, a wolf or a bear or a lion would come in, sheep just didn't have the, the capability of being able to defend themselves. And once again, looking at our world, the Bible says that we still face huge enemies in this world. Our own human desires often lead us in the wrong direction, right? It's called the, the flesh. Uh, the way that the world lives, which so often leaves God out of the equation, we're often tempted also to put ourselves in the center of everything and leave God out of the equation. And I do believe, as you know, that there is an evil one trying to keep us from obeying God. There, there are enemies out there. And, and the Bible says in our own strength, especially in the, in the culture that we're in and how much we're influenced by the world around us, we often feel hopeless and defenseless. So here we are, made in the image of God, and yet the Bible says you've become sheep-like. 
sheep-like desperately needing a shepherd, sheep-like going in patterns and ways of life that end up, we end up looking, back to that awful illustration, like those pipes that went from our house down to the septic tank filled with roots and, and weeds and it just keeps getting worse and we wonder, will it ever be different? And the Bible says what you need is, using its metaphor, you need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. Which brings me to my second point, our hope. I hope I can make this point well. Our hope is that Jesus, the one through whom the world was made, is personally ready. And and I think after the first service, I want to tell you, he's even anxious to come into your life, to do the work, the loving work he's ready to do. He's ready to be your shepherd. Look at Micah chapter 5, verse 4. It's a verse worthy of being memorized. So when... When this one comes, written 700 years before Jesus, they all knew that someone was supposed to come through the line of David, and he was going to be the great king and ruler like David, but he was also going to be a shepherd like David. And so chapter 5, verse 4, will say it so powerfully. This Messiah, this one who comes, shall stand. And even though for us, it's kind of what I'm doing here, but the word that was used there in Hebrew was a word for being engaged, not letting things go on on its own, but being there, ready for anything that happens. This shepherd shall stand and shepherd his flock and he'll do it in the strength of the Lord. Now, I told you that um, we in our culture sentimentalize animals, but I think we also sentimentalize shepherds to the point that we don't understand the commitment Jesus is making to us when he says he's willing to be our shepherd. Uh, I have a picture up here uh, of a contemporary shepherd. Uh, I, I like it because you'll see him there very, very much in the presence of and actively involved with his sheep. But you need to know that shepherding was not in the Bible times, has never been since those times, and still is not a very respected profession in any culture. It's always been on the lowest rung of the uh, socioeconomic standing of people. In our, in our own uh, country, we would almost certainly bring in people without documentation, often brilliant people who can't do any other work, but we'll say, you do that. Even, even in David's family, he had to do it. He had to be the shepherd because he was the youngest son and nobody else wanted to do it. And it's not the nature of the work that's uh, the problem. In fact, when I said that we had good news and bad news, I forgot the good news. Preachers do that a lot. We, we really delve into that bad news stuff. There is good news about being called a sheep. And, and that good news is that sheep were so valuable. They were valuable for every part of biblical society. They, they couldn't eat pigs, you know. And so for food, lambs, sheep became so valuable. They were so valuable for, for the uh, clothing and protection that they had there because their wool would be used. Uh, They were valuable even for a service like this, that in the sacrificial system, uh, the sheep were central to that. So for all the important things, they were were important. And that's why when he says he's willing to be a shepherd, he's not saying, I call you sheep because you're unimportant, but I'll call you that because you've gone astray, but you are important. And and in this situation, even though a shepherd had to do this this awful work of, of being with sheep, uh, and, and by that, that meant you had to spend time with, well, people who weren't very intellectually stimulating or because sheep weren't. And that, that if you were a shepherd, you would end up smelling like sheep, too. That, that wasn't always that attractive. And also, if, 
If you were a shepherd, you had to be involved in protecting the sheep and you had to sacrifice the, to protect the sheep, even to the point of death at times. The stories in biblical times, even into our own times, of shepherds who were willing to die. There are many, many stories of that because there was no one else there to protect sheep. So you see, it's an important work. But the importance of the work is counteracted by the nature of that work. So we'll take us back to my septic tank. I mean, I'm telling you, cleaning that thing out was important work. Why didn't I get in there and do it? I didn't want to do it. It was just... I didn't want to do it. I don't have to become any more graphic or specifically specific about that. Okay, so this work of shepherding was the kind of work that nobody wanted to do. And yet here we have Jesus in very nature God did not consider that equality with God Philippians chapter 2 something he was going to hold on to for his own benefit but he was willing to become a human being for us and even to die for us he turns to you and me and says what I need to do in your life it's ugly work but I am ready to be your shepherd you are so valuable to me you are so beautiful in what you can become that I'm willing to enter in and to forgive that sin and begin to make a difference. I am willing to be the good shepherd. That's what it means. And one of the biggest parts is he not only came and experienced death for us to forgive us of our sins, but he gives to us his Holy Spirit because he won't leave us where we are. You know, so often... I only hear the good news about Jesus being, well, if you follow him and believe in him, he'll forgive your past. But I think the really, really good news is he promises to recreate the future. He'll take those old pipes that weren't functioning. He'll make them new. He'll seal them up. He'll clean us out and let the love and power of God flow, flow through us again. He'll take unholy people like you and me and find a way to put the holy spirit within us because he has borne the penalty for our sin hallelujah I, I always try to find new ways to tell you about this but I'll just tell you this as, as frankly and clearly as I can every human being needs that kind of shepherd I think here in Southern California we think well maybe some of those people that are into gangs they need a shepherd some of those people you know who's gotten trapped in drugs they might need a shepherd they don't need a shepherd any more than I do or, or than you do. I, I think especially because we live in such a beautiful area and where so many people in our area are so successful, we sometimes would say, oh, Pastor Greg, this message, that was good for some people to come, but I'm doing well. You know, my business is doing well. Why do I need God? I don't want to turn my life over to somebody else. I'm just telling you, that is sheep-like thinking. That's just sheep-like thinking. Only sheep. Only sheep are, are content just to be satisfied with that grass that they're grazing in that moment. But we're human beings. Yes, we need to have things for, this, for the moment, the food and the clothing for the moment. And, and, and so, but we've been made to live for more than temporary things. And any thinking human being will pull back and know that that's true. That if, if, if you say, oh, my business is doing well, so that you say, I find satisfaction in my business, someday that business will be taken away from you. 
death or something will take it away. Oh, I live, my investments are doing well. Let me tell you, who knows what's going to happen in the next week. That all may be gone. Oh, but I have this beautiful home and beautiful family. Those are, are wonderful things, temporary things. We've been made for more than that. Being made to, be, to reflect the image of God, we have become like sheep living for temporary things and thinking that they will satisfy. They will not. And Jesus comes and says, I'm ready to come in and give you a life. I'll give you something ready, worth living for. I'll make your life count for eternity. But I'm going to have to come in and take over your life because when this powerful Jesus steps into our lives, He is the one who must be the Lord. Have you noticed that in Micah? Oh, I've... Flip the page over. There it is. Chapter 5, verse 4. Just look at the way he puts it. He will stand and shepherd his flock. And he'll do it in the strength of the Lord. He'll shepherd you and me in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And then they will live securely. And then his greatness will be known to the ends of the earth. And Jesus said, that's why I've come. To be your good shepherd and to give you a life. But for me to be that, I must lay down my life for my sheep and then you must be willing to follow me all right this brings us to that huge question about why Jesus had to die um, theologians in the 20th and 21st century seem to want to say this be willing to say this well the death of Jesus in the Bible that is a great example of love that's what it's about and it is isn't it and Jesus said it is. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than that a person lay down his life for a friend, and you are my friends, and he laid down his life for us. So yes, when you look at the death of Jesus for his sheep, it's a great example of love. But, but you're with me here, aren't you? It's only an example. My death for somebody I love is only an example of love if that person is in danger. And, and my death... Some, how rescues that person I love from their danger. Do you see that? Now, I've used this illustration before, but it's such a good one that I'm going to use it over and over again. Uh, women who are here, uh, you might want to think back if you're married, you want to think back to when you were engaged. Uh, others who are engaged or want to be, you can think of, If you were engaged to a, to a young man, and you, it was just about the time for your wedding, and so you go, you go up to your fiancé and you say, um, you know, we're about to get married I'm not really, really sure that you love me. Can you do something today that will just prove to me that you love me? And he says, sure, I'll do it. And he goes over to the nearest cliff and he jumps over off and says, I love you to his death. <laughs> Would you say, wow, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of love that I've always wanted to see. No, what would you say? What a nut. You'd say, what a nut. And what good does this do? The, the only way that that death is a demonstration of real love is if the person you love is in danger. And what Jesus is saying when he says, I am willing to lay down my life for you, is that you and I are in danger. And if you will accept what the Bible says, it says that God is holy and not a one of us is and that evil 
must be dealt with or there can never be justice in this world. You can't just let evil abound and there ever to be justice, but we've all engaged in it. And so, and, and so God has said, I have found a way for justice to be done, for the evil you and I have done to be atoned for, and for you to be forgiven and set free. And Jesus came and he alone lived the life you and I should live, but none of us has. And then was willing to die the death we deserve, but we don't have to. Because he died for the sheep. He, he died to rescue us from the penalty for our own sins. Hallelujah. And when you begin to see that, you see how beautiful it is. And we surrender our lives to him. And he comes in, but again, he is the shepherd who has the mighty strength. He is the one who says, I'm not just going to forgive your past. I'm going to remake your future. But we have to allow him to take over and shepherd our lives. Now, C.S. Lewis, I know I quote him way too often. But you know which one of my books is his favorite? My favorite? It's, it's one of his children's books. It's his The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's one of the Narnia Chronicles. And it starts with the story of Eustace Clarence Scrub. I, I love how he, it starts something like this. There was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. <laughs> he was just a, a mean-spirited little boy. He was a dragon on the inside. And, and one day, what was happening to him on the inside, being a dragon, came to the outside, and he turned into a dragon. But he didn't want to be a dragon on the outside. So he thought, I can change this. So he, he tried to rip off the dragon skin but, but it, he, he was able to get it off, but it was still there. So I'm going to bring it in so you can hear. Lewis says it much better than I can. He tries the second time. Well, Eustace says, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? So I scratched away for the third time, and I got off a third skin, just like the two others, and I stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion said, and, and lion is Aslan, he's the Messiah figure in there. Then the lion said, you will have to let me undress you. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. And then there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and, and, and darker and more knobby looking than the others had been. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes, the same I've got on now, as a matter of fact. Those of you who are here listening care. This is what Jesus has done in my life. I, I'm just a testimony of the dragon that he was willing to step into and begin to change. Uh, of an of a old septic pipe filled with roots that he was willing to get in and begin doing all the... I'm just a testimony of that. That's why Jesus came. That's what the Advent Christmas season is all about. And, and, and there are, if, it would be a better service than me just preaching if we just had all of us who have experienced that he's willing to receive us and begin to change us, tell those stories, we'd be singing hallelujah all day. Uh, I, I was able to get hold of an older 
volume of Reader's Digest of all things uh, that told the story of three people who had been very successful in their, but had found their success not to be satisfying. Uh, their names were Julius Irving, Dr. J, the great basketball players, uh, skater Janet Lynn, do you remember her? And politician Chuck Colson. All of these people had been very successful in their own areas, but their lives were empty. And they knew that there had to be more. And then they heard a message like this one. And they allowed Jesus to come in, to forgive their past, and to come in and begin to remake them. And I just want to tell you that that's why Jesus came. And what Eustace tells about what these people tell about and what I'm telling you about is real. And that Jesus is ready to be a good shepherd to you. But you must ask him into your life. You must be honest enough to own, there are some things here that are wrong. Lord, will you come really take the sin in my life? Will you take it and cleanse it? And he says, yes, I'll take it and I'll throw it as far as east is from the west. But, but you must bring me into your life. And I will be your good shepherd. If today you come and you just believe in God, but you've never really known him, you've never really followed him as your shepherd, followed him by faith, I pray that this would be your day of finding a new life in him. Uh, it is real. And I pray that you will experience it. Well, I've got to move on. The last point I want to point is that that gives us an opportunity to live well. So we have a calling when we follow this shepherd. And what happens is, as he's remaking us, he sends us. And our calling as followers of Jesus is that we are sent out in the world as Jesus was sent. In fact, Jesus would say this in John 20, verse 21. As the Father sent me, now I'm going to send you. Now, you've got to remember, the way he was sent was to be a shepherd. Uh, do you, are you up for this? It meant he was willing to enter into some parts of people's lives that weren't all that attractive. Are you willing to be that incarnational shepherd, loving people as Jesus has loved you? This is, don't, don't answer too quickly. This is a difficult and a high calling. Now, some people say, but wait a minute, uh, uh, Pastor, uh, maybe I'll do it once my life becomes uh, more perfect. I'll tell you, no, it, it must begin even now. And, and we're all still in process. Uh, if, if you followed me around every moment of my life, I hope you would see me growing in my love of Jesus and my walk with Jesus. Uh, but you would also see some things that you would have to say, Pastor, you need to grow some here too. Probably when I'm driving my car. You would probably have to say it then, maybe some other times too. But I'll tell you, what happens is he begins to transform our lives. He will transform them and never give up on us. And as he's changing us, he uses us to carry his message of the gospel to others and to come alongside and to help people when they are hurting. Uh, Lewis's Voyage of the Don Treader takes that up too. Um, I love the way he puts it. We'll put it. I wanted you to see this, so I've written it for you to read. Lewis wrote, It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth Eustace was a different boy. Uh, to be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But many of those I shall not notice. 
the cure had begun. What I love about this Micah text, the reason why I would love you to just write it down, put it up on your refrigerator or someplace, is that you remember that when Jesus enters in, he will get his work done. He is going to come and shepherd you and me in the strength of the Lord, in the might of his name. When he enters in to do his work, he can do it. When you think that this thing in my life can never be changed, he says, I can change it. He will complete his work. And as he's doing his work in you and me, he makes our lives count. There's such joy in this, of being able to go out from church into the community. Somebody's going through a time that's really hard, and you say, why don't you come to church with me? I'm finding some hope there. And they'll say, no, 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 my life is so messed up that they would never want me in church. And what do you and I say? Man, if there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. We are all mercy-needing people who found mercy. Do you believe me when I say that? Why has it been the tendency of churchgoers to try to pretend like we don't need mercy as much as people outside? We are desperate, mercy-needing people who have found the mercy of God and found that Jesus was willing to be the good shepherd who died for us and that there was no hope apart from him doing it. So this is that we go with humility, never with self-righteousness, with humility, but always with confidence. The humility that never tries to pretend, oh, I can do it myself, but you need help. But the confidence that says, if he can help me, there is hope for the world. For he is the shepherd king who comes in the strength of the Lord. And when we go, we go as, as shepherds under the mighty shepherd, which means it's incarnational ministry. And when we go out, Yes, sometimes you're going to find the things you deal with. There's a lot of griminess there, but his forgiveness is sufficient for that griminess. Now, there's going to be language used, perspectives given that you'll say, Ooh, I hope the pastor doesn't hear that I'm sitting here in the midst of this conversation, except you're going to be praying that I have those with others so that I can point them to Jesus too. See, we're going to go out and when we see people who say there's no hope for me, we're going to know that the might and the grace of Jesus is sufficient for them. And, and we're not going to go and live as the rest of the world lives because that's been a, something's happened in the 21st century too. Oh yes, I've got to relate to the world out there so I've got to live the same way they do so that uh, so we'll have a relationship. Jesus went out and touched the lives of all sorts of people, of, of, of lepers and, and prostitutes and people who had everything happen. But he lived differently and if we just live the way everybody else lives, they'll never see any hope of being different. We've got to be loving people who live according to the drumbeat of Jesus, following our good shepherd. And if you say, oh, that's too hard for me, that you have to be a pastor to do that. Or maybe a fuller seminary student. What do you think? Or maybe a missionary. Then my last thing is, do you notice verse 2, that you, Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come this one who is great. Um... The whole point is that God, this powerful God, has a way of choosing very small, humble things to do his greatest work. Uh, that, that if you come and you say, I don't know how I can ever do this well, uh, I don't speak as well, or, that you're probably ready really to be used by God. Uh, look at the whole Christmas story. God, God chose a stable for Jesus to be born in, and I, I think he did so so that uh, no innkeeper could say, well, of course he got born in my 
Langham Hotel or my Weston Hotel. It's the best place. Of course, that's where God would pick out. It would be for pride. Uh, he, was, he was born in a little manger in that stable. Maybe so that there wouldn't be a woodworker who said, oh, yeah, it's because my work that I've done is so good. That's why God wants, wants me to be in there. He, he, he chose to be born in Bethlehem rather than Los Angeles. <laughs> because we would say, well, of course, everything great comes out of Los Angeles. You'd expect something good to come out of here. No, Bethlehem, nothing good could come out of Bethlehem, but it did. And it's when we say, Lord, who am I to be used by you? That he will say, you are mine. I give myself to you. And you and I together are going to do mighty things. Jesus is ready to enter into the depths of your life, pull out those roots and weeds, begin his remaking process, and then to send you out from this place, representing his name, under his shepherding, being a good shepherd. And I'll tell you, when the angels saw all of this, what did they sing? Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest. Who else could do such a thing? Glory to God. And if they sang that, so should we. Because his shepherding is all by his grace. And it's all to his glory. Amen. Amen. To his glory. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. So our Father, we've been here to, to offer our praise to you to open up our ears to hear your word. Now, Father, we, we are called to respond to it. Father, for some who have come, who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior and Shepherd, I pray that even now you would be very real to them and that they would simply say, here is my past. Will you really forgive it? I confess it to you. Take it. And that they will hear you say, I will take it and cleanse you and set you free. And I pray, Father, that they would place their faith in you and be ready to follow you as their shepherd. Father, for the many, many others of us who are here at Lake at this service, who have walked with you for so long and yet still go our sheep-like ways, taking over our own lives, Father, on behalf of each one of us, we come to you and say, Lord, we want to recommit all that we are to you. We will follow you. Continue to do your work in us and through us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.